Good morning. My name is Jay Rosenthal, and I'm the Managing Director of Business of Cannabis. Welcome to the Cannabis Daily Show for Monday, April 4th, 2022. Since 2017, we have highlighted the companies, brands, people, and trends driving the cannabis industry, and that's what we look to do here every day on the Cannabis Daily Show. We would love to hear from you in the comments, and always feel free to visit us at businessofcannabis.com, as well as through all of our social channels, including Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and if you're watching on YouTube, please smash the subscribe button. Following the rundown of today's top cannabis news and industry insights, we'll be joined by David Kessler. He's the chief science officer of Agrify, which is a leading cannabis company that uses data, science, and technology to help cultivators work more efficiently, effectively, and profitably around the world. Also, the European Cannabis Report 7th edition is available for download as of the end of last week. It's put up by our friends and partners at Prohibition Partners. Information is on that in the description below. You can check it out and download it from there. In September, we will be in New York for a two-day bonanza called Business of Cannabis New York. We look forward to seeing you there. Information about that event is in the description below as well for today's stories. The MORE Act passes the House of Representatives in the U.S. Texans are expected to take advantage of New Mexico's new cannabis adult use sales and sales amendments for applications for processors no longer needed by health. Canada will get into that as well. For our first story, as expected, last week the MORE Act once again passed the U.S. House of Representatives by a relatively slim margin, 220 votes to 204. This is in a story from Forbes, but it's also expected to be an uphill battle in the Senate. Interestingly, there were just three Republicans that voted in favor of the bill, Matt Gates, Brian Mast of Florida, and Tom McClintock of California. Five Republicans back in 2020 actually voted for the bill, so the number of Republicans supporting the MORE Act is actually going down, not up. Two Democrats voted against the bill, Harry Quayler of Texas and Representative Chris Pappas of New Hampshire, who wanted an amendment that was not voted on. So the Morak is expected to not advance in the Senate, partly because of Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer's own bill that he would like to advance, heavily focused on social equity and social justice. And our thoughts, at least, is that the White House doesn't necessarily want this issue on their plate right now amidst a war, rising gas prices, inflation. COVID, whatever you want, this is not one of the things the White House wants on their plate right now, according to us, not necessarily according to any other source. For our second story, adult use cannabis sales kicked off in New Mexico on Friday, no kidding, and some entrepreneurs in the state are banking on traffic coming from their neighbors in Texas, where cannabis legalization hasn't even made any progress, this in the Associated Press. About 30 businesses have applied for licenses in Sunland Park, which has a population of, huge population of 17,000 people. For example, El Paso, Texas is close by, it's very close by, and so is Cuidad Juarez in Mexico. But Texans are being warned not to bring cannabis products home with them, where they face penalties such as two years in prison and a $10,000 fine for possessing cannabis concentrates, even though gubernatorial candidate Beto O'Rourke says Republicans like to get high just as much as Democrats. We covered that story a few weeks ago. For our final story, good news for Canadian cannabis processing license holders. As of April 19th, just in time for 420, Health Canada will no longer require a sales amendment application in order to sell products. This is from a story in Mugglehead. Quote, the change will reduce regulatory burden on license holders and give new license holders the ability to bring products to market more quickly. Thanks for the notice. No kidding. Health Canada will continue to provide oversight using a risk-based approach. This according to a Health Canada 
document. Join us. Well, later this week, we'll be joined by our experts at CanDelta, the regulatory advisory of business of cannabis, to unpack what this all means for you as consumers, for you as retailers, for you as processors or would-be sellers of cannabis. Those are the stories you're watching today. Join 12,000 others and catch all these stories and more in your box every day at 7 a.m. with our Cannabis Daily Newsletter. And coming up on our BFC Live segment, we connect with David Kessler, the Chief Science Officer of Agrify, to talk about their approach to helping cannabis cultivators around the world set up operations and thrive. This is a conversation with David Kessler. David, thanks for being here. So happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, uh, we, we were chatting a minute before we came on. I feel like kindred spirit. Right now, that is your, it's a picture of your backyard in New Hampshire. I'm a New England guy, but also you went to school in way, way, way upstate New York, which is kind of like Ontario, where I live now. <laughs> it really is. And, and I finally left after one winter where it snowed every day in January. We had over 220 inches of snow that winter. And it just broke me. I was growing tropical plants at the time, and we decided to move to Atlanta to start a uh, orchid nursery and just get away from the snow. So I don't know how you do it to this day with all the snow, my friend, but uh, I, I retreated for warmer weather. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, uh, and this is, this is totally an Ontario perspective, upstate New York, upstate New York has way worse weather. Between Buffalo and it Syracuse, does. like I tell people you can't really drive between like November and April, because you're, you're going to be caught in a blizzard. And they won't even report that's a blizzard coming. Yeah. They'll just be caught in it. Well, you're, you're with lake effect, right? So the wind is coming down. And so you don't see it in Toronto. But what you end up having is these huge pockets of moisture and cold weather. And you end up with these squalls, which are only for like 10 miles. Right. Light out conditions. It's right. brutal. But they're only the 10 miles right in front of you on the road. That's, that's right. Like for sure. That's for sure. Always. <laughs> Spoken like someone who spent time in upstate New York. Uh, uh, and and um, you talking about the weather and science of of, of weather. Uh, you are a scientist, I, I believe, and you're the chief science officer at uh, Agrify. Talk about what that means and then what you do. Sure. So I've always loved cannabis. Since my friends were consuming before I ever touched the plant, I was growing it before I ever consumed. And I was fascinated by the genetic diversity the number of colors and aromas and flavors and shapes of the cannabis flower. Uh, I'm also a bit of a collector, so I wanted to have as many of those under my hands as I could. Um, what I get to do for Agrify is because we're not a plant touching company where we don't actually directly touch cannabis, I do most of my research on hemp, which is taxonomically an identical crop. Uh, regulatorily, it's, it's a distinction that the government set but at the end of the day, I utilize technology to really help manipulate the plant towards a genetic end. One thing people consider a lot when they think about growing a plant is they're trying to provide the perfect conditions, like a utopia to grow your plants. And what I routinely tell people is that's actually kind of a, a misunderstood concept because a utopia would make a plant lazy, if you will. What we're trying to do is apply very controlled stress 
and then remove the stress. And what that allows you to do, it's much like a bodybuilder lifting weights and changing their diet to maximize the amount of muscle. In our case, we're asking the plants to maximize their biomass. We're asking them to maximize their chemical profiles. And so what I love about what I get to do is really experiment to elicit better and greater performance uh, from plants. It's a, a wonderful job. In addition to that, I help our customers. I make sure their operations as head of the customer success team, we make sure that all of our client operators are growing the highest quality and meeting their goals. Uh, and then we also support everything from the training and the thought leadership side. So I get to do a lot of speaking events and write white papers. But for a plant nerd that has loved plants from the time I was probably 10 years old, it's a dream job. I, I just don't know how I got so lucky that social constructs and regulatory environments kind of aligned in my particular lifetime. It's <laughs> pretty good. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. And now back to sort of uh, your home state of New York. I mean, I know you're in New Hampshire, but New York now, um, oh, yeah. and, and it's, I mean, the regulations look like for out, well, hemp farmers are about to get the first sort of licenses to get to grow cannabis, which it sort of comes all full circle, but right on, on David Kessler's plate, it seems like. Um, talk a little bit about, I mean, I, I, I mean you're going to tell me, but are there similarities between growing orchids and growing cannabis? Or is it the science of like thoughtfully applied stress and monitoring what happens to the plant and sort of repeating that cycle? I think that you can learn from growing any crop and transfer some of that knowledge to others. What I learned with orchids, which you have to appreciate, are the largest family of plants on the planet with over 50,000 species and 250,000 hybrids, that they grow in very diverse environments. And so if you want to grow a diverse collection, which I've had over 20,000 different plants in my collection, I had to be a master at managing and manipulating these particular environments. For example, there's a beautiful orchid called Mastavelia vecchiana, a species that grows on the hillsides of Machu Picchu. But that's a really unique environment. It gets a lot of sun, but the humidity is almost always 80%, and the temperatures never go above 60 degrees. So to grow that in, say, Georgia is a challenge. You have to get a very good understanding of how to control an environment and then how to recreate that. And so that's probably what gave me the most transfer of knowledge, because what we're learning, and again, it's, it's not about providing cannabis 78 degrees and 55% relative humidity. It's about manipulating the vapor pressure deficit, the EC of the fertigant, the airflow rates, the light intensity and quality, all to a specific end. And while I admit that, yes, you can grow good cannabis by setting it and forgetting it, if you want to maximize the potential and you want to really grow craft quality, you need to pay a little bit closer attention. And I think that level of detail came through loud and clear from my years of growing orchids. And, and I mean, and bring it down to the consumer level too. Consumers, real consumers and connoisseurs know the difference and that's what sells, Absolutely. right? I mean, and I wonder, I wonder um, because you're in an interesting spot um, and the industry is too, there are people that, that grew without the rigor or science like you bring, mm -hmm. but also I think probably understand intuitively those stresses and the conditions which grow great cannabis, right? So people who are legacy growers, like how does that 
enter your sort of fray with, with the clients you work with to say, we understand, like, you are doing great science. Let's apply rigor to the science and like, let's recreate. Okay. I love the question. It's near and dear to my heart because I often will tell people all credit goes to the growers. And at that same time, I have a presentation I've given multiple times called the intersection of legacy cultivation and modern agricultural science. Because like you're alluding to, a lot of our legacy cultivators, the men and women on the front lines that were early into the medical program or even the, I hate to call it the black market, but they were still fighting for cannabis cultivation. And what we have to appreciate is that they weren't always wrong, not even most of the time. A lot of what they knew, they learned from observation. And because writing things down was paramount to an increased jail sentence, we tended not to do that. So it was not institutionalized knowledge, which is why you hear a lot of stories about my uncle's brother's friend told me to do X because there wasn't the good knowledge. Now we did have some books, but they were limited. So when it comes to, excuse me, when it comes to what we learned, a lot of the time the legacy cultivators had the right idea and just didn't have the scientific language or the research to back it up. And I'll give you a really good example. Uh, two years ago, I was offended when a LED company came out and said the saturation point for cannabis is 1000 micromoles. They actually said 950 micromoles uh, at the PPFD level. And if you go to California, to Colorado, to anyone that has grown cannabis outdoors in full sun, I will assure you that we have all raised our hand and said, no, it can take more light, more light, you get more yield. So I fought against that research. And then just recently, University of Guelph came out with some wonderful uh, information. Oh yeah, big up, love like Dick and Zang. Um, and they're looking, one of their grad students showed a linear increase in both biomass as well as cannabinoid concentrations up to 1800 micromoles. So double what this company purported. And that aligned very well with all of my legacy cultivators and my gromies and everyone that's been growing for decades, because we all knew that. And it was nice to have the scientific footing to then be able to rely on it. Um, and I think that that's exactly what we're seeing. We're seeing a lot of these ideas validated, seeing ideas about how you light your plant, how you prune your plant about how and what nutrition is required. The only thing that we tend to disagree on is flushing, but that's a whole nother topic. <laughs> well, well, let's talk about it. You, it sounds like you've touched on something controversial. Let's get there. It is. I mean, there's a lot of industry professionals that still espouse a flush. And, and let's define what that is. That's not, Please. I overfed my salts and I'm trying to equalize the, the media and keep my CEC, the cation exchange rate. It's at the end of flowering, before you harvest, people withhold food. And I'm very pragmatic and I try and think about plants in a logical way. So if I'm on my deathbed, my organs aren't functioning as well, and I start withholding food, I'm not getting the response I want. What growers want to happen is that by withholding food, the plant essentially metabolizes the storage of starch and converts that to sugar. Um, that's what's actually happening. 
what they're thinking is that there's these salt reserves in the plant and that it's going to pick and selectively utilize those. But unfortunately, what the documented research has shown is in fact, withholding food lowers your cannabinoid levels. It lowers your overall yield. And while you can see varied effects, different strains, different practices, different durations, typically anything more than one to two days to allow the plant to catabolize, to metabolize those starches, you're gonna see detrimental impact. And it's just a legacy process that I think a lot of growers use to try and improve the flavor of their cannabis. Um, and that has been shown in blind taste tests and scientific studies. There's a lot of talk about white ash. Um, all of that has been shown to not actually accurately represent the chemical composition or the improvements that people talk about. So unfortunately, that's just the one area that really isn't supported by uh, modern research. That's like them, them's fighting words. No, I'm just kidding. I know, I know. People hate that when I talk about that. <laughs> Makes you very unpopular or very controversial, I guess, at conferences. But look, I mean, this is this is exactly goes back to the sort of the question I think I was asking, which was about, you know, legacy growers. Uh, and your point, like not really wanting to write things down because of because of like potential jail sentences, but also, you know, bringing it to um, to to scale. Right. And, and right. before we came on, we we're talking about some international markets as well. Talk a little bit about that, because, you know, what was once a Western U.S. legalized effort is now obviously making its way to the East Coast, making its way to Canada as well, where we always had obviously our West Coast always grew as well. But like talk about bringing that, that knowledge, those like those legacy practices, applying the rigor of science, doing it at scale and doing it in compliant ways with some very rigorous uh, regulations, especially well here in Canada, uh, less to less extent in some places in the U.S., but certainly in, in Europe. Like, how does that transfer get made um, of knowledge because it is super important, but also we're trying to do it at a different scale entirely. Sure. So one of the things that I always appreciate, I've designed hundreds of different grow rooms and facilities over my thirty-plus year tenure. Um, and what I always did is I learned from each particular institution. I'll even visit other people's cultivation facilities and I'll learn best practices. I'll be able to pick up things that maybe will change the way I design facilities. And that often has to do with biosecurity and workflow optimization, just trying to minimize risk and maximize people's productivity and job satisfaction. So when we come to the institutionalization of knowledge, Agrify is a, a huge fan of documentation and providing data. Each one of our growth chambers, and just to talk a little bit about Agrify's approach, we essentially take a growth chamber, which is roughly four feet by eight feet by nine feet tall, and we control the environment to a degree which really is only seen in the research community within a half a degree centigrade on temperature within five percentage of your relative humidity, 100 parts per million CO2. We have laminar, uh, translaminar airflow. We have subcanopy airflow. All of the air is cycled uh, you know, multiple times every minute. And ultimately what we deliver is the 
control over that growing environment. But then in order to scale that, each control, each chamber is individually controlled. So if you have 100 of our VFUs, our, our vertical farming chambers, then you can have 100 different growing environments and treat each one differently. So you can actually do what's best for the strain in each chamber at any given time. To support the institutionalization of knowledge, we have documented hundreds of pages of standard operating procedures and best practices, but we also look at this as an alignment with our client operators. We're not just selling you a light like a lot of people and then walking away until there's a, you know, a warranty issue. We're really invested in your success in unique ways. And so what that means is I have a, I'm charge of the customer success team. And so I'll have someone at your facility multiple days a week helping to train your employees, making sure processes followed, really allowing you to benefit from the technology through best practices. And so when we talk about the institutionalization, it goes from training the management teams on best practices for the cannabis industry down to how to relate and manage your team with weekly meetings and 13-week forecasts for quarters, and really trying to bring process that's repeatable, that's understandable, and that's productive to these cultivators. And then we actually take it a step further and we go to the facility and train the hand plant touching team on the ground without touching the plant, but we show them how the hardware works, how the software works. We answer the questions. We sit down with them aligned for over a week and we really try and get them to appreciate how to use our technology to make their lives easier and to grow better cannabis. And so not only do they get that service initially, but they get it usually for over 10 year term. Wow. I'm like, I love it. I've, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I can't wait to see you on the road. Uh, Cause I feel like that, those, that path will cross again soon. We'd love to have you back to talk, uh, you know, talk about anything really uh, the intersection of sort of science, technology, operations, regulations, um, how uh, orchids are similar to cannabis now they're grown or not, uh, new markets, how to scale, all those things. I really appreciate the time, David. Nice to connect with you. Nice to meet you. And we'll see you uh, probably like this again, but definitely um, in real life too. I look forward to it, Jay. Thank you so much for having me on. I look forward to our next conversation and seeing you on the road. Thank you, everybody. Talk to you. Bye-bye. That was episode 60 of the Cannabis Daily Show. Thank you for joining us here on YouTube or wherever you caught the program. Please do subscribe and we will see you tomorrow.